Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the House of Pot. I'm Kaveh. And I'm Lizzie. And if this is your first time listening, we're a medical... Sort of. ...podcast where we try to discuss medicine and health in a relatable way. And we will answer questions you may not feel comfortable asking your doctor and definitely won't bring up to your friends. On today's show, we have Pete Devine from the blues band Howl Devine. We're going to talk to him about overcoming addiction and being given the diagnosis of both HIV and hepatitis C. Stay tuned. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. Welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kave. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Joe. How we doing, guys? So, so good. Wait, like, um, so, like, really, really good so-so or so-so good? Uh, Joe is confused. Not me. Just you're Joe. The one that's no, I'm teasing. I um, want to just state that I think it's been exactly two years since that we've been doing this. I feel like we started around spring 2017. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we should I agree. do another shout out to all our favorite episodes. And then maybe we should also talk about our least favorite episodes. Oh, that could be uh, that We can't do that. I know I'm teasing, but oh. it's funny. I thought you were serious. I thought she was too. It so, would be interesting. We could do it. We just can't really air it. Uh, no, we love all our guests. Equally, like there are children. Some of them were. Um, so I um, last week, I just wanted to tell you guys a story and see what Joe thought about this. I was running across the street and I clearly was jaywalking and there was a construction worker on the corner and I, it was at work and I always wear scrubs and that's most mostly it. <laughs> Nothing else. And I was sort of just <laughs> running across the street and the guy screamed at me. Oh, come on. And you're a nurse. You should know better. Ooh. 
And I was walking right by him and kept walking because I, I was rushing. It was not an emergency. I did not need to jaywalk. That is my fault. But then I looked at him and I'm like, actually, I'm a doctor. What a dick. And, and, then, and then he said, that's even worse. Wait, wait. And then I was like, is it? Is it worse? Because I feel like he was sort of crapping on nurses. Wait, was he, was this done in like a flirtatious way? Like he thought no, this he was a good was, line or was he really like chiding you for this? He was chiding. He was like a little bit annoyed that I jaywalked, but more annoyed that like I should know better, but I felt like him saying like stupid. I stupid. He's not at the hall monitor. That, that's what he I mean. Was. That is, and then he stereotyped by calling you a nurse because you're a woman. That I mean, was that was the nice. problem. His sure. job is to yell at people to cross the street. His job is the safety person of this like corner that was being you know worked on. But yeah, I think it was really derogatory. And I'm not demeaning nurses at all, but just to assume a woman in scrubs is nurses. Yeah. And then when he said it's worse that I jaywalked because I am a doctor. Like they're uh, better assuming, than nurses. Or right. Something. Yeah. The whole thing. And he Without didn't say anything about how nice Did my he... ass is. <laughs> <laughs> Did he respond when you told him when you're like, uh, I'm a doctor? Was he like, oh, it's just because you're a, a lady. And then were you like. I'm not a lady. I'm a man. <laughs> Just to like really confuse yeah. him. No, that would have been awesome. No, I think a little like whistle cat call would have made me feel better. But what he, the words that came out of his mouth just mostly annoyed me. Yeah. And it, it does remind me of times at work or at parties or whatever where, you know, I, I have patients who'll be like, hi, um, Ms. Ms. Ross or whatever. And I'm like, it's, it's actually doctor. You know, I've spent a lot of time and money um, on, on that degree. And I'm, yeah. you should, you should call me doctor. Cause I, I don't, I don't allow it when people call me miss unless they're like 90 and like a yeah. little old lady or whatever. But, um, hmm. I definitely correct people. Really? I, yeah. What about you, Kave? Would you correct <laughs> Do they people? call you miss? They call me miss. Not, like if it depends on Mr. what kind of mood I'm I've in. Seen both. Sometimes I've seen... I feel pretty. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> it depends how much facial hair you have. Exactly. If I have a beard, then I'm really surprised. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're, do I really actually get upset if they don't call me doctor? Do people um, call you Mr. Hoda? Do you get that? Every now and then. Every you now and then. And do you and, correct them? And I will, but jokingly mostly. I'll be like, I didn't go through four years of evil medical <laughs> yeah. school to be called Mr. <laughs> evil. Oh, yeah. You know, I like it's, it, but it's different because I don't have to deal. No one's ever confused me for a nurse or right. a tech or right. something like that. So I, it's a little of a different vibe. Yeah. I don't, I don't chide people like this construction worker chided me. I'm not mean about it, but I say, actually, you know, I, I just, I, I call them out on it and I try not to make it contentious because usually I'm about to sedate or scope them. You know, what, there is one thing that happens to <laughs> me that probably doesn't happen as much to you and it's weird. And I don't know if it's because my name is a little bit more unique, but they'll like, they'll have a hard time with it. They'll see my name and they don't know if my first name is my last name. So it yeah. really confuses them. Yeah. So they'll be like, uh, cock. Dr. Kave doctor or like the Kave and I'll be like you know it's actually not my name but you know not my last name you yeah. know so it's it, it I think that's because of the nature of my name yeah. more so than, than anything else yeah and then they don't call you Ms. Kave so not enough <laughs> um I I have a um how to be a better patient segment thing I kind of want to do okay and and it's a real simple thing that people can do and it's like the number one issue. And we've talked about this to some degree, but it has to be said again. The one thing that people really just cannot nail, and if our show does nothing else in helping people communicate with their doctor better, when did this start? <laughs> the correct answer to that is either a specific time, a general time, 
or I don't know. I really can't tell you when. All any of those three things would help answer my question. If it does not fall, if your answer does not fall into one of those three categories, my brain will start to shut off. Yeah, you know, you're if, sounding like kind of a dick, honestly. Well, but this is important <laughs> as a patient. No, but like when I'm like five so, years old. So, but no, it's no, but you'd Kabe, be surprised. I, Not me personally, I, but I I don't know if he's coming off angry. No, but no, but no, I, I hear but you. I what you just keep on carrying. But I totally agree <laughs> with exactly what Kave is saying. Okay. So you're seeing with a patient, you have a limited amount of time. We have questions that we ask specifically because it'll help us get to an answer. And we have, and, and patients have a lot of information they want to share, and, and sometimes it is useful. Um, a lot of times it's not. If you have a good doctor asking you questions, you kind of have to trust the process. So if I say, Joe, when did this pain you're complaining in your stomach start? And you answer with like, well, um, I've been working at this new job, and sometimes I watch TV right. late at night, and that, if that starts get to happen. You a lot of that, honestly? Oh, Probably once a day. My most common thing is I'll say, when did this start? And the patient will be like, oh, for a while. Right. I literally have no idea if that's a month to you or a year to you. Yeah. Or some of our patients who maybe don't speak great English, I'll be like, since before. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, still, if you don't speak English since since before, what? Or if, you know, it's just not a number. One yeah. month, one or, year, 10 years. Um, uh, or if I don't you don't know. know either, that's okay. Because then that tells us it's probably been kind of a gradual process. It's been going on for a long time and it's been subtly sort of becoming a thing. So we can actually get information from that as well. Did so, something happen recently that you just want to remind people? This, no, it just happens like it happens very frequently. And these are like patients that I love, too. And I will stop them sometimes now. And because I have a relationship with some of these people, I'm like, no, no, no. Come on. Come, come on. on now. Stop, come on. Stop, stop. You I know me. What? This is the, I'm a I'm a good doctor. I'm very good at getting the diagnosis, but you have to work with me here, okay? So and I know, and sometimes they just they want to share these things that that I may not find important. And that I think there's a, a value to that. There's a value to that. I agree. Yeah. They have to have space to do that because sometimes they'll say something. I'll be like, oh, that's great, but I will give them an opportunity for that. I'll be like, is there anything else? Right. going on right. I will always make sure that there is a, ch a time for that but you got to work with me when we're doing these questions I think maybe I could squeeze my venting <laughs> into how to be a better patient as well <laughs> like for example my patient who I recently saw who um, has a very healthy lifestyle as a vegan does yoga exercises you know three to four times a week and then tells me that sometimes he uses a little bit of heroin and a touch of cocaine <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like, you know, thinking to myself, oh, you're telling. And he also is some of the, one of the, you know, um, you know, nausea, vomiting or uh, kind of pain that shatters, you know, like these words that don't are very poetic and beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Like sh my shattering, crushing Ooh, I like it, pain and really stuff is. like that, like a waterfall. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, I, is great, I don't, this does not compute. <laughs> it does not. This is, this is not falling into my algorithm. Right. Yeah. I try to be flexible and like listen well and sort of do, you know, active listening and all this good stuff. But like there are certain words when you say that your belly is shattering. I'm like, Meh, you know. <laughs> No, I don't know. I actually kind of like that guy. That is pretty it. good, actually. Yeah. But I'm just saying the the vegan holistic person right. who comes to me who dabbles in heroin or cocaine and and won't do like you know a diet that I recommend because they're not interested or whatever. Right. Yeah, I find that that's a common problem where someone will come in and they'll come to me and I have specifically 
one frame of mind to approach medical problems with and I will offer a solution and they'll say, no, I'm looking for a very different like approach. And I'll be like, okay, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come out here and say that Western medicine has the complete handle on all medical issues. There's probably different ways to approach certain topics, but I don't know them. That's not right. my thing. So you're right. not gonna come to me and get like treatment with Reiki therapy. Right. You're gonna, you're gonna get the stuff I do. Right. And when patients are like, well, I don't really like medicine and I don't really like procedures. And I'm like, well, these are my expertise. This is what I am. This is what I do. Take it or leave it. Like I know Western medicine and I can offer certain procedures. You know, I, I, you know, we don't just do procedures for fun or for money. We do it, I think for good indications, yeah. but, um, so, but people don't, I don't, I don't think accept that sometimes or don't want to be, they say most commonly, I don't want to be a Guinea pig. Yeah. Right. Like I don't, mm. I'm not asking that of you. <laughs> oh, well that feels better. I feel like we got something <laughs> off our chest. I feel I better. Don't you? I do. Jody, you feel I better? Too, this more than show, ever. <laughs> so it's good therapy for us. It is good therapy. Speaking Anyways, of therapy. So our next guest is Pete Devine. He is a drummer in a band called Howl Devine. It's a really great blues band here in the Bay Area. And he has uh, an amazing story of addiction, sometimes some despair, disease, being diagnosed with HIV and HCV. And his story ultimately ends and I think a pretty happy one and it's a pretty good place for us as doctors to to really sit and hear it out and uh, to, to get the details from a patient's perspective. So stay tuned. It's a great interview. And before our next guest, I just want to plug our Facebook, The House of Pod, a medical podcast, our Twitter, which is also at The House of Pod, as well as at Instagram at The House of Pod. Make sure you have liked and subscribed us on iTunes. Please leave us a rating. It does help get new listeners to the show. On today's show, we have Pete Devine of the blues band Howl Devine. He has a story of addiction, disease, and ultimately redemption. Pete, thanks for coming on and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me on. It's very cool to be here. So uh, it is important for us to talk to patients in sort of long form like this because, you know, in our clinics, in our meetings, we have very limited time. And I think a lot of our listeners who are in the medical profession and I think a lot who aren't as well would like to hear some of the story that you got. And you have, I think, a lot of aspects of your story that we can learn from. I was probably addicted to smoking pot and alcohol and stuff at a very young age. And also in Maine, that's what you do. It's cold during the winters. You know, a lot of people drink a lot there. So drinking, the drinking culture is heavy in Maine where I grew up. It's like a fisherman town off the coast. And uh, so I started young and, uh, you know, doing lots of drugs all through my teens and 20s and stuff and and it progressed i became an intravenous drug user uh in t around 2000 um and i i did that for 11 years every day horrible it's, drug addict oh, seems like a big so step it, it was a big step yeah yeah when you, you say you mean heroin when you say that is that like well when it was first heroin and then i wanted to get off the heroin so I started doing meth to get off the heroin so I started shooting up meth every day and for a while it was both towards it like for the bulk of the, those 11 years I was uh, using uh, drugs intravenously it was uh, probably meth most of the time mm -hmm. and then I got clean in 2011 um, 
and I've been clean since then. We'll get to that, but what was the the theory behind using meth to get you off of the heroin? Was it is that like something that people with addiction have done? Is that something that's like a known tactic? What was your reasoning? Did well, it prevent you yeah. from feeling dope sick? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a common thing with with drug addicts, like maybe, uh, you know trying to get off one thing and, and substituting another drug to take over for whatever reason. Um, it helped me with the dope sickness, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously with the whole Oxycontin and fentanyl, um, abuse and yeah. all these accidental deaths. I, I personally read so much about it in the last mm-hmm. year with Purdue pharma and the Sackler mm-hmm. family being sued and all, all, you know, there's been so much media attention just in 2019 about this stuff. And you just read all these personal stories and and maybe this is your story too. The reason for continued abuse and, and stealing and all the awful things associated with drug use is to prevent this feeling of dope sickness, Mm -hmm. which is a feeling where you feel like you're going to die and you're, and you're crapping your brains out Mm -hmm. and you have chills and you can't get out of bed. And and the only thing to fix it is another hit. But people do not die from that, right? I mean, you don't die. You don't die from from withdrawal from heroin. You die from withdrawal of alcohol. Yes, but from heroin itself or from opium itself, you don't die from withdrawals. Yeah, yeah. But I was sick and I didn't want to be sick. I tried so many times to kick dope and I couldn't do it. I I tried to. I went to Amsterdam and I even tried to kick like where it's legal and I tried to kick there and I couldn't do it. It's just like. The thing that got me off the heroin was uh, the meth, which is disgusting in a whole different way. I'm looking back on it now. It's just like, wow, I really did that for so many years. Like I shot up multiple times a day. That was my life and I survived it. And uh, it's just like, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty disgusting when I think about it now. I mean, for me, it kind of is just like, what like, was your was a whole different life. What was your bottom? My bottom was, well... In the process there between 2000 and 2011, so I, uh, you know, each year of my life would like become more crappy and just like my health would decline and, and, and everything would start to fall apart. That's what happens with an intravenous drug user. You know, you can only sustain for so long and uh, in the quality of life, really. Uh, um, so I contracted HIV in 2006 and... Um, that could have been from sharing needles. Or that could have been from having unsafe sex. I'm not sure, really. I guess it really doesn't matter. But uh, And so that was 2006. And then around 2008, even a couple of years after that, I contracted hepatitis C. And so like, so I guess to answer your question, my bottom was I was sick. I wasn't on medication for the, hep, for the HIV. I wasn't taking antiviral medication. And so I was like having many... This is my doctor at one point down at General Hospital said, you have the body of a 60-year-old man. And this was when I was like 38 or 40 years old. And I was just having all these weird things happen, like shingles and just like old mm-hmm. people's diseases, you know. And uh, and so you were seeing a doctor. It's interesting because what, I, what I'm trying to sort of piece together is what your life looked like while you were in the middle of this real addiction. It sounds like you were... St- still seeing doctors like mm-hmm. during the course of your addiction you're still going to see doctors were you still 
um, like holding down a job? Were you holding down? Because in our minds, we think of like Sid and Nancy in some sort of like heroin den. We think of drug users who are really addicted, like not leaving the house. But you were like somehow maintaining some semblance of a life, it sounds like. I was for quite a few years. I was like, I was playing my gigs and I was able to play my gigs, play music. And then after the gig, I was just like off to the races. I'd go find my drug dealer. I'd take any money I could from that show and go to my drug deal and spend it all on drugs pretty much. And, you know, and just like, uh, I would be up maybe for a couple of days after that. And my, I might have an, a gig like two days later and I'd come to my gig and I'd be all like cracked out of my head and, uh, and it would be a challenge to play. And the more I did this, uh, the worse my situation became and the more my life around me fell apart. Um, I was seeing a doctor and I, they wanted to try me on HIV meds and stuff, and I just couldn't adhere to taking my medication every day because I didn't wake up at home half the time. I didn't. I was just like I was not capable of taking my medication every day. Did you tell your doctor that, or yes, did you try we, it and you just couldn't do we it? We tried and and I couldn't do it. Well, it was also probably a harder regimen in the last ten years. As you probably know, I mean that the regimens have become easier. Like yeah. sort of single day dosing yeah. instead of three time three pills a day, exactly. three times three a day, three times a day, or twice a day. Yeah. So sometimes it is maybe easier for someone who's using now to to take the medicine. I don't know, but I, I think ten years ago it was probably really challenging. It when was more challenging. Yeah, I'd have to do it twice a day if yeah. I recall, dose twice a day. And it's um, hard to know. You said um, either unsafe sex or needles, and mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. Like you said, I have we have a lot of patients with cirrhosis, mm -hmm. and I sort of say, if you're not doing anything bad now, it doesn't matter. But in the end, the only reason why HIV would matter is so that you can tell people that you might have slept with. Exactly. You know? Yes, that matters. Yes. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I guess when I say it doesn't matter for me, no, having no. it. Yeah. No, I know what you meant, but I just want like our listeners to know that that if you think that you yeah. have something like that, Hep C, Hep B, HIV, mm -hmm. herpes. Um, or we talk about that. We tease Joe a lot on the show about it as as a joke. Um, oh, you have herpes, Joe. <laughs> I don't have herpes, Pete. But uh, our, but <laughs> but we want good. our listeners. Kind of a I'll fun kiss rumor. you then. That's we okay. need our listeners to think that he does. So please stop messing up our oh, our brand, I'm if you sorry. will. Um, did you ever? I mean, Kave asked what your bottom was, and I, uh, I'm not I'm not oh, sure. I if haven't I hit even that hit yet. that part, right? Yet. But did you ever overdose? Did you ever need? Narcan and you know the no, but I think I might have. Or I was starting to, but I counteracted that with a hit of meth. <laughs> Some messed up. Yeah. Don't recommend that to our yeah. listeners. I don't recommend this. Right. I don't recommend. You know, I don't. It was a horrible life, and and towards the end, I did hit a really bad bottom. You know, I was just like, I was pretty much homeless. I tried a few different rehabs in the city. They didn't work. I was like bopping around the tenderloin staying at people's places i was homeless and uh and i was sick a lot of the time and i was using drugs all the time and i my gigs i had no more gigs the bands i was playing with was like they had it with me they yeah, sure. all these. and uh so yeah, yeah drummers are hard to deal with even sober yeah. drums, I'm looking at Joe, are hard to deal with, much less one dealing with a, like a heroin problem. Yeah, Is that true? You know, or you're just digging no, that's true. That's uh, a whole thing. It's a whole issue. I, I love that. our drummer. Yeah. I love you know, Joe. it's just like this. It's true, though. This, there's, there's so many great drummers in the city, so many great musicians. It's really competitive, and you got to be on the ball if you're going to make a living doing it, and if yeah. you want to make any you know, mark in this world, playing a music or an instrument, you got to be good. And, uh, 
yeah, so doing doing to be an intravenous drug user like totally took all of that away from me and uh and my it's really interesting. I had a friend I, I don't know if you guys have heard of Music Carers as a program. We did. Um from Pat Spurgeon told yeah. us about Music Carers. Drum, another drummer from Road oh, yeah. Wave. Yeah. Uh, okay. he, was, he, he was a guest on our show a few months ago, and he was on his kidneys failed, and he needed mm-hmm. um, a new kidney. And he's like, there's a great program, mm-hmm. Music Cares. So That's but amazing, yeah. They're so great. They will you tell us about of, it? Well, I knew nothing about it. It's, it's, a, it's a program subsidized by the Grammy Academy. It's a part of the Grammy Academy. It's one of their, you know, it's a program that... Uh, you know, if you're a musician or in the music business or producer or anything like tied to the music music business, and then like if you need some, if you need operation or something like a, a new liver, or if you um, need housing, or if you need hearing aids or something, if you lose your hearing, like they, there's a whole slew, you know, of different um, things they'll help you with. And uh, a friend had told me he had gone through a rehab in L.A. Um, and Music Cares paid for it. It was a which scared you more? Which scared you more? Hepatitis C, getting that diagnosis, or HIV? And just to give a little historical perspective, when you were diagnosed, the treatment for both of them were not fantastic. Now, essentially, we have cures for hepatitis mm-hmm. C. Uh, we can control HIV pretty well, but uh, at the time, they were both really scary. So what what was uh, the scarier of the two? I think at the time, HIV was the scariest for me at the time, at first. Um, and it kind of also set me into a tailspin. Like when I was diagnosed with HIV, I was just like, I was, I kind of became like, what the hell, the hell with it, you know? And I became more reckless and, mm-hmm. and didn't care so much. And, uh, more kind of like, you know, my life is over. What the hell? I might as well just do lots of drugs and just like not give a damn anymore. Um, when I got hep C, I didn't really know a lot about it. And and I didn't know right. like you know it's it's kind of, I guess you call it what the silent killer or something it's like it just like so many people we use that term a lot I was medicine. like I think that's diabetes yeah. oh is it <laughs> or oh hypertension I have heard it referred to that but I think people are yeah it's just something that it means you can die from it but not have like some weird like rash on your body because of like, it. But you it cannot is. know about it you it can is. have it for so yeah, long exactly. and then it and is. then all of a sudden you can go from fibrosis to cirrhosis and not even know it and then you can be screwed it yeah. is i mean it's just like diabetes high blood pressure mm-hmm. you know hep c hep b you feel totally fine mm-hmm. until you might die you yeah. know what i mean that's yeah. why yeah so yeah. What scared you, do you think, more? Was it like the, the risk of death, knowing that it was that? Or were you afraid, oh, who am I going to find that's going to love me now? Was there like a, a fear of like finding a partner? Was it What was the, the fears that you were having when you got those diagnoses? That's a good question. I think one of the biggest fears I had was, yeah, I'll be, I'm going to be alone. I'm not going to be able to fall in love or have a partner or have a family um, or have any amount of quality life because I'm going to die in a few years. Yeah. And, uh, and I really didn't know the treatments back then for, I, I knew really nothing about HIV in 2006 when I was diagnosed with it. And one of the great things about my doctor down at general at ward 86 is they taught me, you know, that it's not a death sentence anymore. And it wasn't a death sentence, even in 2006, like you say, there was the, the treatments weren't as good as they are now, but they were still pretty good. They were a lot better than they were in the nineties, you know, when you had to do like the cocktail and all that crap and tons yeah. of side effects. And 
Well, our focus now for HIV is to think of it as like a chronic disease. Make sure women get their mammograms, men mm-hmm. get their colonoscopies because people are living mm-hmm. normal, healthy, long lives because we're doing such a great job. Absolutely. Um, I have a question about, yes. um, I guess, sort of stepping back with the um, just substance abuse. Do you think that you just sort of got into it as a kid or do you think that you were self-medicating? Because we're talking about joy and like family and love. And do you think that you were medicating yourself for depression anxiety or whatever or do you think this was just sort of this cycle of like i was a kid i started stuff and i just kept going you know that's a good question um you know we all have problems from like you know uh things that happened to us in our childhood that affect us you know some more than others it could be like a parent died or something or you're abused sexually or you're abused physically or whatever um i guess you know I, I started at a young age, maybe, I mean, I guess I'll get really personal here, if that's cool. Sure. Totally. Like, my biological mom killed herself when I was, like, six years old, and maybe so I had a fear of abandonment or something as, as a child. I think that might have been one of the things. Yeah. When I was, like, 12 or 13, I was badly sexually abused by a camp counselor, and I was, you know, and that kind of messed me up, too, so, like... Mm. You know, there's a couple of things I might be able to attribute wanting to self-medicate um, for. Sure. Um, but ultimately, I think the bottom line is I enjoyed getting high. I enjoyed, you know, getting a buzz on, whether it was from Bruce or smoking pot or doing acid as a kid. Yeah. And so, you know, it just could be a combination of all those things. And also another one is I have a predisposition, I think, is, a, you know, addiction and alcoholism runs my family. My grandfather was uh, an alcoholic. My dad was. Both of my brothers are addicts and alcoholics. Um, yeah. I'm the only one who's clean. I mean, my dad passed away. My grandfather's passed away. One of my brothers passed away last year. My other brother is living in Japan, and and uh, he's just like, he, his liver's like, and kidneys are shot. I mean, he's going into the hospital every other week for dialysis mm. and stuff. He's a mess um, from yeah. drinking. So you and started off with a couple of strikes against you. I, absolutely, like. and, yeah. And dealing yeah. with what you had to deal with when you were young. I mean, we're not psychologists or psychiatrists, but you don't need to be one to recognize that something like that's going to leave a lifelong effect. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to predispose you to health and psychological problems. There's absolutely. No absolutely. No and Have then, you been able to get counseling from that end i mean it sounds like you've gotten all the good medical care and all the treatments and all the and we'll get to that in a second but have you been able to get counseling yeah i've gotten counseling and i've i've done a lot of just like soul searching and like um talking with friends and my wife i'm married now and uh and she knows my, you know, she she knows my story. We talk about this stuff all the time. I'm like, we just met, so if I know this, I'm <laughs> sure your wife. Knows. You know what? Uh, <laughs> hey, I'll I've tell you, a, it's just like, yeah, I'm an open book. I, no, I, it's, it's great. Like, Why? What motivated I, you to share your story? I think, well, I think sharing my story is a form of, you know, of um, like therapy. Therapy. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And the more I talk about it, the more therapeutic it is. And yeah. I think it's it's a good way for people in recovery to be. Um, well, you you've been great about it. You've been really open about sharing. You've literally become the poster child for HIV HCV treatment, and by that I mean your face is all over posters in San Francisco. That's true. Uh, advertising. <laughs> I remember it was like a year ago. I was walking by a poster. I'm like, what? What? Pete? 
<laughs> like I saw yeah, you on the poster. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know, and I didn't know until that point. So it is great that you decided to share what is, that. What is the advertisement? It's for? about. It was like for UCSF, and it was like about oh, their okay. HIV HCV treatment. It's like a, yeah. a picture of Pete with his drumsticks, and nice. it's like Pete was like you know uh, homeless and and and. Uh, addicted to IV drugs and now he's in a successful band it was like a he's literally the poster child for how good treatment can yeah do. yeah about how you know you can take that one pill a day and obtain a undetectable viral load and right. live a healthy life and do normal things get married you can even have children and be HIV positive it's really amazing how right with the kids being HIV negative with the exactly. kids being yeah, HIV yeah. negative yeah. yes yeah. as long as you one of you are undetectable and you're on the antiviral medication um, so can I ask, so we, we, uh, so you went to LA, you got clean and are you on any, um, methadone right now? Cause no, a lot of never. people, no, for our listeners nope. to tell, I don't know, um, to get off of heroin. A lot of people are on sort of a very strict regimen of a low dose methadone to prevent this dope sickness and, and it works and people have normal, healthy, functioning, mm-hmm. long lives on a little bit of methadone, which is related to heroin every day. You know, you know, everyone's different. And if that works for them, that's totally cool. If yeah. people want to go to NA and AA every day and that works for them, that's totally cool. Um, I don't do either of those things. And uh, and, you know, it's just like kind of like smoking, quitting, smoking cigarettes. Like, but you're doing the vape things. And, right. and they're, you know, it's just like you're not really quit and you're still addicted to something and something still there's still a little bit of a monkey on your back. Right. But like I say, it's better than using, right? It's better than using. (laughs) And and everyone's different. But for me, I, 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 so it's like all or nothing for me. Right. And same thing with vaping for like, it's meant to be a short term crutch to transition off of cigarettes. Yeah. But people just go on for years. No, I, I, that's not the right thing. Sorry. Yeah. Joe. Pete, uh, thanks for sharing your stories. This is amazing. I just have uh, just a basic question. Mm -hmm. As someone who's addicted to cigarettes, Mm -hmm. how did you quit? I mean, I'm sure you get that question all the time. It's, it's a lot of it's willpower and whatnot, but I feel like cigarettes are like almost like food where if I don't have it, I'm starving. Like, how, how do you push through that, would you say? Well, that's a good question. And the bottom line is I didn't want to die, you know, and I was using such a powerful drug with the meth and the heroin, but mostly the meth towards the end. And... It was such a powerful drug and this is like I couldn't sustain my life I was either like sink or swim and I didn't want to sink um, and so I made a f- decision I had tried many times over my life I must have been in like six different rehabs from my teenager yeah. like maybe three or four in the last ten years and uh, I finally told myself you know I'm either going to die. I can't, I, I'm too old for this. I can't keep going. I'm too old. And I hit a point when you're like, you know, 40, 45. It's just like, if you don't quit smoking and then, if you don't quit doing these drugs and then by then your body is not going to be able to heal so well after you hit 50 and, and then you might really start to run into health issues. Like, especially with the smoking, you know, like, so it was just sink or swim and I didn't want to sink. And I quit smoking cigarettes too. I was, I was in a rehab in the summer it'll be eight years this summer and then three or four months later i quit smoking cigarettes too cold turkey wow and i had to do that and the reason for that was like okay i've done all this work to get off drugs yeah and i'm working to be healthy 
And wouldn't that just really suck if all of a sudden I was diagnosed with lung cancer or some, right. you know, terminal, you know, thing from smoking cigarettes. So I got to quit smoking cigarettes because you're feeling like a hypocrite if I you're know, like I so know. clean in one aspect and not in another. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. But yeah. In a way. Yeah. It's 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 a real challenge because when you are quitting something, when you talk about addiction, a big part of it is there's this reward cycle that goes on in your brain. You know, you worked hard, you played your show. Now it's time to get high. Mm. You know, do you feel like you've replaced that with something else? And and if so, if you had advice for other people trying to quit, what would it be? Pornography. No, that's go. Oh, no, that. What's wrong? See, There's no problem with porn. We'll talk about that in another just, show. You no, know, I'm not uh, suggesting there is. I just thought it was. Funny. You know, that goes in hand in hand with the doing the drugs and the math and stuff. That's just like a whole part of that life. That yeah. past life is like not only was it drug addiction, but it was sex addiction, and they go hand in hand. And that was part of my story too. So, so the exact opposite. I mean, I was even, I was afraid to have sex even like in the first year after I got clean because it kind of triggered off, you know, mm. it's a trigger for me. Right. Cause then you're like going to need a cigarette after sex yeah. or a drink or whatever. Or I'm not yeah. going to be able to have sex unless I shoot up and have sex. Like right. that's the thing about right. meth and it's really gross, but it's true. You know, yeah. it's just like, you know, a lot of drugs, Stimulant, uh, yeah. stimulants and they go hand in hand with sex and it becomes a dual addiction of sorts. Yeah. So that would, so no, not the pornography, but, um, really what helped me with that was, uh, getting into my music, um, playing music full time, putting all of my eggs in one basket, which I've always kind of done anyways. I've always been a musician. I've never had another job my whole life. It's always been music since I was a kid. Yeah. And, uh, and even when I was an active drug addict in the back of my head, I always knew like, if I got clean, I'm going to do pretty damn good. I, I have this music. I have a God-given talent, and I think I'll be very, I'm already very good, and I know if I can get this monkey off my back and get clean, then I might excel, and I might do really well. And, and that's what happened. But you didn't when you, because it sounds like a big part of um, your drug use was kind of around music. So was it a problem for you to play music and not get high? Was that an issue? Or? You know, it's funny. It's almost like I had two separate lives when I was playing, when I was, doing drugs and playing music like sure with the marijuana and the booze early on in my teens and twenties, that kind of went hand in hand with the music being in clubs and drinking and stuff. But you know, ultimately even back then when I was drinking, um, I knew I wasn't a better musician when I drank. I was always a better musician when I was clean. Mm -hmm. Same. And, and, and I tried when I was doing the intravenous drugs and the hard drugs, um, in my thirties and early forties. Um, I tried to separate the two, the music and the drugs, and I couldn't do it all the time because, you know, a couple of days would run into a next gig and I wouldn't have slept and I'd be cracked out, you know, just like, you know, whatever. And I'd have to play the gig and I didn't play as well. So I was able to separate those two things and I'm very lucky for that. Most of my friends in the bands, they weren't drug addicts. They weren't doing the same things I was doing. Um, so I would play my gigs and then leave the you know the club or the gig and then go off with a whole different set of friends and a whole mm -hmm. different set of you know whatever and and do the drugs and it's terrifying you it, know yeah so tell us a little bit more about where you're at now where i'm at now well i'm in a pretty good place i've been clean for eight years this summer totally clean um um i'm available you know for life um um I'm not, I'm not fucked up all the time. I guess I'm not like, you know, 
I'm not afraid anymore of everything like I used to be. Um, I can, I can, I'm married now. I learned how to drive a car after I get clean. <laughs> My bands are doing really good. Yeah. I have a lot more friendships and relationships. Our, my relationship's great with my sisters and my mom and my family. My health is really good. I'm on medication for the HIV and, and um, uh, my viral load's undetectable. My cell count's really high. Um, tell us about Hep C. And Hep C. And I Thank you very this. much. I got treated for Hep C like three years ago. Um, I did the Harvani treatment for three months. Yeah, and, and uh, I cleared it a hundred percent, and I don't have it anymore. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, and I was like somewhere. I just uh, I was like stage three fibrosis, and uh, I felt it. It's like I was tired. My energy was low. Which for our listeners means he was on the way. He was well on the way to developing cirrhosis or complete scarring of the liver where mm-hmm. you have a high risk of it not working and failing. And that is very dangerous. As, yeah. Once as you, you have a cirrhotic liver, just, there's no going back. Yeah. And there's only four stages and mm-hmm. stage three is scary. Yeah. 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 So my doctor, you know, thought it was, we, he held off for a few years um, because he knew there was a, a, a more gentle, softer way coming down the line without yeah. interferon, which was would have been a horrible, you know. Yeah. Before the new treatments, you guys know, and I don't know if your listeners know, like uh, one of the main uh, treatments was interferon with maybe some other things. Riboverin. Riboverin, yeah. yeah. And, uh, Brutal treatment. It would last, you know, up to 12 months, and in a regular normal case scenario would feel like you had the flu for a year exactly. and it yeah. only worked 40 percent of yeah. the only time 40% in, exactly. in, success in the best patient yes <laughs> yeah and that doesn't even include like being dual diagnosed with hiv too then your right. chances sure. are even lower exactly right yeah no it's something yeah. that like um doesn't get as much media attention as it should the the amazing scientific yeah. like achievement that it is that we are curing hep c on like a daily basis, if again, if we you have a listener, anyone who thinks they might have it or thinks they know someone they have it, please see your doctor because we can cure that with yep. amazing over ninety percent success yep. rate. So that's my a plug insurance for, covered it too, which is amazing. Wow, that's fantastic. amazing. Yeah. Joe what has a question. Say, Joe? No, yeah, just so amazed by the Hep C uh, cure as well, and I gotta think, you know, for someone in your position, do you, you know. Hep C, the cure, Hep C out of nowhere. That was a virus that was cured. That almost never happens. Did that give you an added hope for a cure for HIV, especially now with the treatment that's made you your viral load so low, um, undetectable? It pro- kind of gives me hope for, for a cure. Does, do you feel the same way? I have, you know, I... I haven't. I don't really think that with HIV. I think, yeah, someday there might be a cure, and there probably will be. Um, to be honest with you, and I don't know if this is selfish, but I'm very happy just have an undetectable viral load. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah. I mean, that's the goal. That's- I can't pass it on to my wife, and, and, and I can't pass it on to anyone else, and I can... You know, I can be healthy and they're starting to give like life insurance to people with HIV now. It's just yeah. like, you know, we're going to live a, a long life and be, you know, normal pretty much. You know, that's that seems to be the trend. <laughs> so um, I don't really look at it that way. I, I think it would be great if there was a cure for HIV. That would be wonderful. But I'm not crossing my finger. I mean, I would love to see it. That would be amazing. That would be a wonderful thing. But just the fact that it sounds like you're grateful for what you got. I'm grateful for amazing. what I got. And yeah. uh, I'm grateful that there was a cure for the hep C. Totally. Um, 
heard, and we've talked about this in other shows, and it's, gosh, amazing treatment. Mm-hmm. Got to ask you, doctors, uh, why not put everybody on PrEP or, or yeah. antivirals? PrEP no, is, no doctor's been able to answer that for me. You mean why not put everybody yeah. in the Every, world on a, PrEP? It's in effect. We don't even put everyone on the world on not aspirin. Not the world, but as many and people as possible. Now. People who are high risk, um, definitely I think PrEP is a wonderful thing. High risk, exactly. There are two yeah. reasons What's why the not everyone. Of high risk. Uh, lots of partners, unprotected sex. Those are drug use or sharing needles. High sharing. Sorry, sex. high risk sex. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. There's a whole category. It used to be, you know, gay men, and yeah. now it's people who have, gay men who have unprotected sex, specifically mm-hmm. anal receptive. Mm-hmm. So if you're a bottom mm-hmm. as opposed to a top, sure. yeah. you're at higher risk because there's more trauma. Yeah. Um, there's two reasons why not everybody's going to be on it right now. Cost. It's not mm-hmm. free. It's not Fair cheap enough. medicine, Truvada. And the other one is it's only been around for like five years. Who knows what the yeah. consequences are of any of these medications? You can't just start medications willy nilly. I got switched. I got switched off Truvada to a different drug by my doctor because mm-hmm. there's like, you know, he was worried about there might be issues with my kidneys after years of doing Truvada. So he thought maybe I could he'd get me off Truvada onto a different drug that yeah. exactly. seemed to not be so hard on the kidneys so yeah there's all kinds of stuff like that our goal is to have people on the least amount of medicine that we can Mm -hmm. and the least harmful amount of medicine that you can so if someone doesn't need to be on medicine Mm -hmm. you know there's no reason to do it they're talking about nowadays even putting like a six month wafer under your skin Mm -hmm. for yeah which is kind of weird to me but that's a new you know that's a possibility and then you would not have to take a pill every day and it might be easier on your kidneys and liver and stuff well, Pete, Pete, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this with us. That's thank a, you. It's an amazing story, and it's so good to see where you're at now after all of that. And to hear you play is amazing. Your band is great. Well, thank you it's so much. It's one of my favorite blues bands. Oh, man, it's HowellDevine.com, H-O-W-E-L-L-D-E-V-I-N-E. They have a couple of albums. They have uh, Delta Grooves. Boogies and Wobbles and Howl, right? There's another album, right? Yeah, and then Modern Sounds of Ancient Juju. That's why I can't remember wow. that one. That's tricky. Say that again. I, I, if I just may brag, bragging rights for a second. We have, we have two records on the legendary Arhuli record label, which is now part of the Smithsonian Folkway catalog. So that's very cool for us. We have two records on the Smithsonian catalog. Yeah, this will amazing. be there forever. Yeah. After the apocalypse, maybe they'll, you know, be beaming our mu- music up to the space station and, and how all the vines music will live on forever. Who knows? And <laughs> That's they, a great band, man. And Thank the band you. plays a lot at Biscuits and Blues in San Francisco. So you said you had some upcoming shows. We'll, we'll post some of the dates when we have them. Um, but I've seen them. They're great. Thank, and Club Deluxe on Hate Street, we play there a oh, lot. Cool. And that's a really fun nightclub to see us play live. Yeah. Yeah, let's go there. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you all very much for having me. Thanks, Pete. So admirable. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Two drummers. They love each other. Yeah, man. Drummer bonding. (laughs) All antidotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.